2: Welcome to the Business Edge, giving practical advice to entrepreneurs and business leaders on how to take your company, firm, or practice to that next level with less stress and more success. In other words, how to take the growing pains out of growth. I'm Marcia Zidle, your Smart Moves Coach, getting you on the right track, keeping you on the right track, and making sure you don't get sidetracked. Let's start with a Smart Moves quote from Sheryl Sandberg, COO of of Facebook and author of Lean In. She said, women are not making it to the top. A hundred and ninety heads of state, nine are women. Of all the people in parliament in the world, 13% are women. In the corporate sector, women at the top, C-level jobs and board seats, top out at about 15%. My hope in writing Lean In was to change the conversation from what women can't do to what we can do. My guest today is Simmons College President Helen Drynan, a former banking executive who will share her journey getting to the top and how she's used her leadership experience to guide the college to a position of competitive strength financially, academically, and operationally. She will also discuss if women are not leaning in enough and the potential barriers for women's advancement. Finally, Helen will give us a heads up of the Simmons Leadership Conference, which takes place on April 23rd in Boston. Welcome, Helen. It's a pleasure to have you on the show talking about jumping the curve. Thank you, Marcia. It's a pleasure to be with you today. So let's start with a really important question, and that is, despite 40 years of emphasis on working women, why are women still not advancing in the senior leadership roles?
3: Well, I think 40 years is a long time in the lifetime of an individual, but really a short time in the terms of a movement. So if we think about 40 years as the commencement of a great deal of focus on working women moving into roles of responsibility and ultimately of leadership, we're on our way. We're making good progress. It's not the overnight kind of progress that I think a lot of people hope for. But realistically, it's the kind of progress that I think makes sense when you're talking about the multiple levels of culture change that have to go on for Mm -hmm. working women to ascend to more proportional levels of senior leadership. Right now, we know there are maybe 25 plus or minus women in the Fortune 500. And yesterday, of course, we got the announcement of a new woman CEO at General Motors, which... Mm is a big deal. Um, Nonetheless, we would like to see a lot more women in those levels of senior leadership. And I think we all imagine that given the proportion of women in the population, we should be seeing more of those people. For a long time, I think we thought it was just going to happen as women got educated in business and began to enter the pipeline and paid their dues and worked their ways up through organizations. That was probably somewhat naive, the notion that just once women were more educated towards things in business, Mm -hmm. they'd take their place in the top. That's kind of a – in hindsight, it was a naive thought, and I think now – between the kind of work that Cheryl Sandberg is advising, but also the kind of research we do at Simmons, we see that women have to take more responsibility for their own careers, and in fact, perhaps try some of the things Cheryl suggests. But organizations need to take a much more active, hands-on role in ensuring that the unspoken biases that exist in the workplace are are dealt with
2: well you know um, you you made some really uh, good points and I want to um, ask you a little more about it sure. um, one of the things you said in the beginning is that um, to make you know it's going to take the progress hasn't uh, been as much as we had anticipated but um, the at the same time, there's going to be need to be more levels of, of uh, culture change. Yep. What kind of change are you talking about? Well, you know, as I
3: mentioned, more levels of culture change than probably we originally thought. So, so we have uh, the culture change of e- each one of us as people in in thinking about our careers and thinking about our lives. We have a wide variety of issues we want to deal with. How much of our life is going to be devoted to work? How much of our life is going to be devoted to family? And how do we think about those two things coming together? I think we talk almost perpetually about work-life balance in the workplace. And this is, this is the, this is the crunch for a lot of women. And I might say increasingly for a lot of men. Because you, are going to make certain sacrifices on one side or the other depending on what your preference is. So if you go into the workplace saying, I am starting at the beginning of my career in a training program with a great organization and I aspire to be the chief executive, that is going to require a certain set of sacrifices for you that someone can't manage away for you. They can't make those go away if you're truly on that high competition track. On the other hand, if you start at that same place and say, you know what, I want a wonderful career, but I also want to have more time for a family life, or, if I'm a single person, more time to pursue my avocational interests, and therefore, I'm not going to aspire to the top of the organization. If we could all have that kind of clarity, it would be a heck of a lot easier, but most of us don't, Marsha. Most right. of us get into a job thinking, I'm just going to do the best job I can and see where that takes me. And along the way, we either pursue some avocational interest if we're not necessarily interested in having a family, or indeed... We have a family, and all of a sudden we find these two things are really hard to manage. So culturally, we have to deal with that conflict. It is a natural piece of wanting to do more than the traditional roles. Now, it's surely an issue for women because most women whether psychologically or actually, are moving away from the notion that women are the mm-hmm. primary keepers of the home and the children. We don't think that anymore, but culturally, that has to be resolved. Workwise, men on the opposite side have to say to themselves, gee, it isn't any longer absolutely expected that men will be purely in the workplace. Do I want to have a greater role with my family? Might I even consider being the primary person at home while my wife goes off to work? these have enormous cultural ramifications for the individual, for couples, for families, and for the communities in which they live. So that's one level of culture change that has to go on. A second level is that most of our organizations in this country historically were built as command and control organizations. There's a lot of hierarchy, there's movement up through layers and layers and layers of management. Now we're saying, Is is that the only style of organization? In fact, is that the best style of organization to get the highest level of productivity? Well, it's been kind of the expected route for a lot of people. And if you're going to say, maybe we're better off rethinking the organization in order to make productivity and success easier, that's another whole level of culture change, devoid of the the notion of whether men or women are going to drive that culture change. It's just a big change, and we know there's a lot of interest in american corporations being more competitive and more productive. so there's yet another level of of culture change. so that's the kind of thing i'm talking about when i'm saying multiple levels of culture change.
2: well, you know, um <clears throat> one of the things that i would like to focus on is is the going to the, you know, the the, the changes that have to be made in the business arena. Yep. and and so um Let's get to the question of what does it mean for the business community to use 100 percent of its talent pool.
3: Well, I think um, you know if you if you think about using 100 percent of your talent pool, you can actually think about that at the very macro level of of a nation like the United mm-hmm. States or mm-hmm. any other nation in the world, where we certainly know that to be the most internationally competitive. We want to use every talented person we can in this country. And they're not all men. They're not all women. They're some of each. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a simple observation from the start to say, if your goal is to use all of your talent, then you're going to have to personalize your goal to the people who represent that talent. It's not all men are not the same. All women are not the same. And you're really going to need to understand the talent that you have in your organization. I would say today Marsha most organizations will say the single largest challenge they face is how to attract the very best of talent uh-huh. in the marketplace when everybody wants to do that. Everybody is looking for the most talented people. So to the extent that you can say to that in that competitive process, here's how we manage and develop our talent. That's going to give you a competitive edge and if you can demonstrate that both men and women can be successful, upwardly mobile, or, or even more, in a more complicated way, successful when they're not perpetually upwardly mobile. You're gonna be one of the strongest competitors for the best talent. I would say one of the best examples of this that we have in the U.S. is how our <clears throat> professional accounting firms have really been able to say, they are totally dependent on the quality of talent they bring in. If it's 50-50 men and women, they have to be able to have plans for every single one of those people in whom they are pouring investment dollars around development mm-hmm. to really capitalize on that investment. So if a woman who's been superbly successful decides to take six months off for a maternity leave, they know they're foolish to just let that <laughs> investment walk away and they right. take responsibility. Right keeping that investment.
2: Well, we have about just a, a minute left, and and I do want to get into the leaning in, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it seems to me that uh, are, are, let me ask you: Are more companies taking this seriously about their investment in talent and how to keep them so they don't go off to greener pastures? Is that something that's happening in the, in the states now? <laughs> I think the answer in general to that question is yes, but I would also say that,
3: uh, as is often the case, the largest, most sophisticated companies that can afford to do the research and do the hiring to have the quality of staff that enables them to really put in place the systems you need to do this kind of talent management are the ones that are leading the way. Uh, uh-huh. And I think, frankly... That's okay, as long as those of us who are smaller can learn by example. I do think, um, as I mentioned before, the the major accounting firms are great examples huh? of this. Huh? I'd say also that some of the leading companies in this world in the in the United States, places like American Express, sure. uh, places like uh, some of the major retailers, are Nordstrom's, for example. These are companies that truly understand that the person they have either on the phone online, or in front of their customer is the one determining whether their business will
2: succeed or fail. So well, you know what, Helen? Um, uh, great, uh, great ideas, and I want you to hold that thought because okay. it's time for a short break. Okay. This, is, this is Marcia Ziddle, your Smart Moves coach. You're listening to the Business Edge, taking the growing pains out of growth on Voice America's business channel. Stay tuned.
1: Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for the keywords World Talk Radio. Once you're a part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the World Talk Radio network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio or search for World Talk Radio.
4: self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics.
1: The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network.
2: Welcome back. This is Marcia Zidal, your Smart Moves coach, and my guest is President Helen Drynan of Simmons College giving us insights into getting to the top and we just finished uh talking about what the about what the business community is doing in terms of talent management and because i quoted um sheryl sandberg uh, uh from her book leaning in i would like to move to that so helen are women not leaning in enough or are companies not lean in to barriers for women's advancement
3: so, Marcia, uh as I'm sure you and your listeners can appreciate, I believe that it's certainly some of each. I think that Cheryl Sandberg has done a great service uh, by writing and really promoting her book, uh, Lean In, because... I think uh, many of us who are committed to women's leadership and women's education for leadership have been quite dismayed over the last decade or so to see the slowdown in progress after a, a good healthy start, let's say 30, 40 years ago. And I think that Cheryl's work has reinvigorated that conversation and has raised new questions and has given people an opportunity to, to rethink some of these things. I do think... That, um, there are many women, but let's remember there are also many men for whom the notion of really giving everything they have to the job is not their inclination. Their ambition huh? level is not just not as high enough as, as would be required to do that. When you look at someone like Cheryl Sandberg herself, she's a bit of a force of nature and she has just been a whirlwind in her own career. So uh, not everybody is going to meet that standard. Now I, I also at the same time appreciate that um, reminding women that they are going to have to put everything they have into the effort if in fact they aspire to be one of the final competitors for the top positions is a very important message. We all need to realize that because nobody's going to put you in a senior job. You're going to have to work hard for every single bit of that uh, effort. And you know that's as it should be because we're looking for people who are ready to do everything they can to make that organization work at its peak performance. And that requires extraordinary commitment. Mm -hmm. So I think she's right. I don't think uh, it's a message to all women. I think it's a key message to those women who truly aspire to high growth in their career. As for the organizations, I do think that many, many organizations do not take a proactive enough stance. Now, I will be the first to say this is not about being a good guy though there's nothing wrong with being a good guy, but it's about being a business-savvy guy when you say, what should Mm -hmm. a corporation do? It's understanding that point that we made in the last segment that talent is in short supply, and why waste it? So that's the key reason more organizations need to connect those dots.
2: And, you know, um, I I was uh, looking... um, I just recently read a Forbes article that said women need more than confidence to succeed. They need ambition. Mm-hmm. And just to, to um, reinforce what you've been talking about, uh, the first paragraph says, Women, by many accounts, have all the markings to be on the top. More than 70% of high school valedictorians in 2012 were women. For decades, more female students than male students have graduated from college. Afterwards, more of them than their male counterparts, some 53 versus 47%, claim entry-level management jobs. But then it goes on to say, but somewhere along the line, the number drops for women, only 37% for mid-managers, even lower for vice presidents, and all the way up. And um, I'm wondering what you attribute this to. Uh, You talked a bit about it. Is there anything else you can add to why women are not – is it the lack of ambition? Is it the lack of opportunity? Is it that they don't know quite what to do to to, to make it to the top?
3: Well, I think many of the things you touched on are in the mix, but I'd like to suggest a couple things that – uh, it might be a little bit different way to think of this. So hey. at, at our School of Management here at Simmons College, we have done research, uh, several different pieces of research with young girls, let's say girls in their early teens, looking at their attitudes about taking on leadership roles in businesses. And without going through all the details of the study, I'll hit upon one of the highlights that I think is relevant to your question, and that is the vast majority of girls – want to do good in the world. And the vast majority of the girls in the study don't think that business is a place where you necessarily do good in the world. Mm -hmm. Therefore, they don't necessarily see themselves climbing to the top of organizations, which are business-like, because they don't see themselves as, in that way, fitting their hopes for their future as doing good things in the world. So I think we have a cultural expectation by a lot of girls who are approaching college saying, I'm not sure what I'm going to do when I finish my college education, but I'm not thinking really at the top of my list is business and leadership. So that's one factor in. I think we have a lot of work to do to explain to girls and ultimately young women that you can do fantastic things in a business career, in a leadership career, and that doing good is much easier when you've done well yourself. So that's one whole thing. I think another thing is that women have learned traditionally how to succeed in both traditional K-12 through education and in higher education by following the rules. Do all Uh your assignments, Uh do what your professor asks you to do, join the right activities, be president of your activity. Not necessarily, Marsha, to take risks to do things that are, as we say, coloring outside the lines. So they do superbly well in formal education. And then they hit organizational life where the rules begin to become more complicated. It's not just do every assignment correctly and you'll advance. It's, yeah, do a great job of the work I'm asking you to get done, but also learn how to be a member of a team. Learn how to stand up and promote an idea that may not be popular. Take some risks. And many women are not prepared, not trained, not given the opportunity to learn how to do that. So you add a going-in bias that says, yeah, but I want to do good in the world, and I'm not sure you can do good in those big organizations, with I'm not sure how I take risk in an unfettered way, in a place where it's not clear to me how you succeed. Those rules are not written down. Those are two big factors that I think come into play.
2: Well, you know, it's so interesting because full disclosure, I am a graduate of Simmons College. (laughs) (laughs) I got my degree in psychology many moons ago. And back then, there were, for women like me, um, there were just these careers, social work, uh, education, Mm -hmm. nursing, Mm -hmm. secretary. I chose social work. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was my background for Mm -hmm. many, for many years. Mm -hmm. It just so happened that my husband did, was in corporate America, and I learned a lot from him and therefore made the switch. So, what surprises me, and I'm not going to say how old I am, but this was a long time ago. It seems that that has that changed much in the, in the the, so many years that there's, I would imagine there's more occupations for women today than there were so many years ago.
3: Well, it has certainly changed. If it had not changed, we wouldn't be seeing, you know, even 25 to 30 CEOs in the Fortune 500. Right. It right. has definitely changed. But that's what, why I made the comment I did at the beginning of this conversation. When you think about a movement, a change movement, and so we're talking about the change of women in more roles of leadership across our society, not just Mm -hmm. in corporations, but across our society, that's only really a 40-year-old movement. Gloria Steinem will say a movement takes at least 100 years. So if there's any truth to Gloria's statement, and she sure knows what she's talking about when she talks about the women's movement, she would call it a young movement. So yes, we've made a lot of change, and we've made a lot of progress, but we have a lot more work to do, and we need to take this research that we're doing and understand this means we have some work to do with our young girls and, and young women. We need to help them understand the choices that they have, and not mm-hmm. let them be distracted by stereotypes that are pretty old.
2: Right. So, what are some of the things that you think uh, young girls have to learn? And we have about two minutes uh, that to, to get them to see the broader um, opportunities for them.
3: Yes. Yeah. So at Simmons we do something called World Challenge and it's a, it's a, an atypical educational experience and it's aimed at sophomores. So these are young women who have a little bit of college experience under their belt but they're still at the beginning of their education process. We take them out of the classroom. We put them in a situation where they're working in a large team with their faculty and they have a two-week intensive opportunity to come up with a solution to a problem too big for them to solve in two weeks. So let's say the problem is uh providing clean water supply for the world or providing huh? uh sufficient food for a, a an underdeveloped country where the problem is simply too big to solve in two weeks, but we ask them to take a stab at that. And they spend two weeks using their professors as resources but they the world is their resource as well they can they can go to do uh research online or in the library they can go out and interview community experts they can do anything they want to but at the end of it they have to come up with a workable solution that can be implemented to solve the problem we've really taken away all the structures that they rely on the the syllabus the readings directed by their professors <laughs> the qu- the quizzes and the tests so that they can understand, how well am I progressing? And we throw them into an experience that looks a lot more like a workplace, where you get a big problem to solve. You don't know what the parameters of the problem are, but you have to solve it in two weeks' time. They get credit for it, so they take it seriously, and they learn tremendously. That's the kind of thing I think we need to be prepared to do, Marsha.
2: Well, that uh, on that note, because that is a fantastic way of educating both men and women yes, to is. to uh, to move into the workplace. So, right. we are going to take another quick break. This is okay. Marcia Sidell, your Smart Moves coach, and stay tuned.
1: There's a saying, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always gotten. Are you satisfied with what you're getting? Are you ready to get something different, to get the business edge? Bring Marsha Zeidel, the Smart Moves author and professional speaker, to your next meeting, conference, or retreat. What you get is more than just stories and motivation. Marsha delivers big ideas with big impact to fast-track your business and your leadership. Schedule your next keynote or presentation now at Marsha, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Business Edge with Marsha Zidle. To reach Marsha or her guests on today's show, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send us an email to Marcia at smartmovescoach.com. Now, back to The Business Edge.
2: Welcome back. This is Marcia Ziddle, your Smart Moves Coach. My guest is President Helen Dryden of Simmons College. She's giving us insights into jumping the curve, how to get to the top. And Helen, you've made it to the top as president of a very well-known women's university, women's college. So, For this segment, I'd like you to share lessons learned because you've had a a long career. That you know, what did you learn? What were some of your failures? What are some of your successes? Um, What insights can you give our listeners?
3: So, uh, I think, Marcia, that uh, the whole business of failure is such an important topic for us to talk about, and Mm
2: -hmm.
3: often, in my experience. Uh, women are very reluctant to talk about failure, and they often think that acknowledging failure is yet another failure. Mm-hmm. So uh, in my own experience, I have found that um, it's refreshing to people to talk about failure because it <laughs> resonates with all of us.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, and I would say I have had um, several what I would consider to be serious failures where I felt that that loss was one that I felt personally as well as professionally because my hopes for the work were so intense that losing them, letting them go was more than just a job. It was I was wrapped up in it personally, and my identity was wrapped up in it. And, and I think I'll, I'll just give a quick concrete example. I, um, I, I served in the Peace Corps for three years and returned uh-huh. desperate to be a Foreign Service officer. And without going into all the details, because it's a long process, it ended up that I did not uh, end up winning an appointment as a Foreign Service officer. And yet many years later, I learned that um, there was a, a suit against the Foreign Service for discriminating against women, and I became a part of a class action that actually, <laughs> actually um, won that claim against the U.S. government. So there was, what I'm saying is there was some vindication for my failure. It was uh-huh. a long time coming. But in the meantime, and this is the real lesson, I couldn't stop just with the failure I had to say to Uh myself okay Uh pick myself up and say what am I going to do with my life this was my heart's desire but it's not going to happen and Uh I need to figure out the next thing and so Uh I think the key thing about failure is look it hard in the face and just say okay I lost that one it was important to me I lost it but it is not the end of my life and I need to now find what's good for me that I can make happen and succeed at that So I think, you know, owning up to it and just dealing with it is the most important lesson of failure. And, you know, in reflection, you can see many things about that that strengthen us. We might not choose these opportunities for Uh hardship Uh or failure because who would? But Uh going through them makes you stronger. And that's really the observation that I think makes all the difference. But, you know what, nothing wrong with sharing those stories of failure because everybody has them and it makes everybody... Feel more relaxed about learning when they know that.
2: Do you think women or are is it easier for women to share their failures, or do they have a difficult time?
3: Well, I, I think that it's not easy for men either. I mean, I don't hear men walking around talking about their failures. <laughs> it, it, you know, it's not. But I do think for women, what is instructive about it is that the the business of making progress in large, complex organizations is such a mystery for most women that they totally fear failure. So, okay. Taking the onus off of a failure and you know that expression early and often, so fail yep. early and often. Do it That's early right. in your career so you can yep. kind of get, get your um, what is that muscle memory going.
2: Right, right. Yeah. Um, what about your successes? What did you learn from your successes?
3: Uh, I would say that um, the biggest lesson of success is you never get there by yourself. Mm-hmm. There is always a group of people who 've helped along the way, and I could you know name off those names right off the top of my head because somebody um, helps you when the going is tough, somebody helps you when there 's an opportunity for you to shine and they share that with other people. Uh, and the real lesson of that is recognize that you're in a position oftentimes to be that support to someone else. So success begets success. And uh, if you can see it in its best light and understand how you got there, then you're going to be a person that helps other people get there too.
2: You know, one of the things that has been said um, is that women who have made it um, – don't in the past have not helped uh, other women. Um, is this still true today, or, or, or are they becoming mentors and pulling the pe- pe- people up uh, to, to rise up in the organization?
3: Well, you know, when I was in business school here at Simmons, that was called the Queen Bee Syndrome. Yes, yes. And recently yes. I heard Madeleine Albright quoted as saying, There is a cold place in hell for any woman who does not help other women. <laughs> So I repeat those little anecdotes because when we have anecdotes, there's usually something that has caused us to have those anecdotes. I do think there's still that. I do think there's still that scarcity kind of thinking. If I succeeded and I felt like it was hard for me, well, I'm not going to do anything to make it any easier for anyone else. That's really what I call scarcity thinking. You know, there's more than enough success to go around. We don't have to hoard it. So um, it's it's. It's not the best side of our competitive instincts. Let's put it that way.
2: Right. And um, a couple of other lessons that you've learned that you can pass on?
3: Okay. One, I think, is just so basic, Marsha, it it bears repeating. And that is you have to be willing to take risks. You have to really try to Uh read the culture of the organization where you work. Emotional intelligence, if you happen to have some of that, is a great gift. But let's Uh face it, you have to work hard. You have to demonstrate that you can contribute to the uh, overall proposition of the business and you have to earn your credibility. You don't just get that because you went to a great school or you did an Uh important program. And I think that is a key lesson of success. Hard work, perseverance, doing your best, that stuff matters. can't be the only way, but that stuff still matters. And the other things we're asking people to learn how to do to have more sophistication in the organization, that's important, but the basics really do matter.
2: Well, you know, one of the things I have heard and I have seen in organizations is that um, women tend to be perfectionists, Mm -hmm. and yes, you have to work hard, but men are more easily say, all right, this is what needs to be done. Let's get it done and let's move on. So can you talk a little bit about that?
3: Yes. I once worked for a guy who told me that he would take a B student any day because they were going to get the work done, whereas the A student is going to spend so much time worrying about the perfection that the work would never get completed. And I think that's true of both men and women. And I think um, we all need to realize most jobs do not deserve an A Plus performance. There mm-hmm. are those occasional jobs where an A-plus is the only acceptable effort, but they're the ones that are few and far between. And I think uh, a realistic sense of that is important. And it does certainly go back to um, the notion that it's... Uh, it's going to require a little risk-taking to say, okay, this doesn't deserve all of our very best efforts. We're going to give it a good, solid B, B-plus effort, and we're going to leave it alone and move on to the next, next task. And generally, that's not how we've acculturated women because they're school successful, not so much organizational success.
2: Successful. Well, you know, on that note, I'd like to move on because <laughs> I am so excited about the Simmons Leadership Conference mm-hmm. that's happening in uh, 2014. Yes. And um, why don't you tell the listeners something about it and who are going to be the key uh, speakers and key guests there?
3: Yes, I, I'm pleased to do that, Marcia. Thank you. So um, Simmons has sponsored a conference for women uh, since the, for nine, 35 years. This started out as a relatively small effort, uh, made by a group of alumni from the School of Management. And, uh, after th- five or six years, it became, it clearly became a conference that was extremely interesting to women, uh, from all walks of life in the United States who were interested in leadership. And mm-hmm. so about, after about ten years of its existence, about twenty-five years ago, uh, the, the college took over the, the conference, and we do one day, from eight o'clock in the morning to six o'clock in the evening, and we bring in women who have lots of different things to say about leadership. We've had the most wonderful speakers over the years, ranging from Oprah to Benazir Bhutto. Uh, we've had performers, we've had artists, we've had actresses, we've had every walk of life. This year, we are thrilled to have. Uh, at the beginning of the day, Denise Morrison, the current CEO of Campbell Soup Company, who will talk about her experience leading a large, complex organization. We have former NASA astronaut Mae Jemison. Wow. We have uh, renowned humanitarian Zenib Salbi, who's co-founder of uh, Women for Women International. We have Rita Moreno, one of my all-time favorites, <laughs> singer, dancer, and actress, and our closing speaker, we are so thrilled to announce, is Hillary Clinton, former senator from New York and former um, uh, head of the State Department, secretary of state for the United States. So that is going to be quite a day on, August, on April 23rd.
2: Well, then how can people find out more about the conference and even register for the conference? Well, believe it or not, And you will probably believe this, the conference
3: sold out within 48 hours. So we are sold out, absolutely. We will be sharing as much of the conference as we can, um, and going onto the Simmons website and getting any further information is probably a good idea because we are already keeping a wait list because, you know, people's plans change, even though they may not want them to change, people's plans do change, and we may have some tickets available as we get closer to April.
2: Well, Any final thoughts uh, before we uh, move on, uh, take a break, uh, anyth- anything that we ha- you haven't covered that you like or any some keepers that you would like the listeners to know? We have about a minute or so.
3: Well, thank you, Marcia. I think the thing that I would love your re- listeners to have as one thought to keep is that we have enormous potential in the- this country, in our country, the United States. We have enormous mm-hmm. potential. And we've done great things and we have even greater things to do. And it really, really matters that we help our young people. Our very young people, little, little kids all the way through, uh, growing, children who are growing into adolescence and early adulthood. It is so important that they know their talent will be sought by many people in their country. Their talent is a gift work hard at your education, work hard developing your talent, and make sure you offer that talent to the very best person who will use your talent to the best purpose, for your own purpose and for the sake of our country. We can't do enough to convince our young people to work hard, get the best education they can, and develop their gifts.
2: Well, thank you so much, Helen. Um, it's so good to speak to someone from uh, the president of the college that I had graduated from <laughs> as well as to get your great ideas about jumping the curve and getting to the top and the lessons learned. I know you do have to leave now, and we will be back after the break for Marsha's Musings. Stay tuned.
1: There's a saying.
2: Welcome back, listeners. This is Marcia Zidle, your Smart Moves Coach. My guest has been President Helen Grinen of Simmons College, giving us insights into jumping the curve, how to get to the top, and also how both men and women need to lean in. Well, thank you, Helen, so much. And now...
1: It's time for Marcia's Musings, a tasty morsel of wisdom and wit to take the growing pains out of growth.
2: Why is change so hard? As an executive coach, I see leaders quickly embrace change themselves, but find it difficult to bring along their staff. They get impatient, they get frustrated, but it doesn't have to be that way, so... How do you get everyone on board the change train that is gaining speed and heading out of the station? Here are three universal truths, why change is so hard for most people, and ways to overcome their resistance. First, change is a threat when done to me, but an opportunity when done by me. You see, people resisting change because when when it's inflicted on them without their knowledge or involvement. Enthusiasm results when people understand the reasons for the change, see the benefits of the change, and have some control over how it's done. As a leader, what can you do? First, let people know what's driving the change, what's happening inside or outside the company that requires this change. Then answer the key question that's on their minds. How will this affect me, my job, my team? Will I be a winner or will I be a loser? You may not have all the answers, but you can start easing their fears. Then get them involved. Although the decision about the specific change has been made, those who are affected can have input into its implementation. The second universal truth. If you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. A clear destination is necessary to guide the journey of change. Many change efforts falter because of confusion over where we're going and why we're going there. If people don't understand where they're headed, then any change will seem dangerous. It's like walking off a cliff blindfolded. Therefore, leaders, provide them with a roadmap. People don't mind changes in the game if they just know where the goalposts are, as well as the new rules are, and how to score points. If people don't understand precisely where they are headed and how to get there, then it's only sheer luck that they will succeed. And the third universal truth is... A journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Big goals can seem overwhelming. The magnitude of the problem, the difficulty of the solutions, the length of the timeline and the number of actions items can make change so complex that people feel paralyzed and nothing happens. To overcome this, divide a big change into small steps. Change will seem less risky. People can then focus on one step at a time and feel they're not being asked to take that big leaf off a real or imagined cliff. Also shoot for small quick wins, low-hanging fruit so that people can experience success. Momentum will build and the journey is underway. Here's a smart moose tip. Remember People are being moved from their comfort zone to a new place. While some may zealously embrace the change, most get very uncomfortable when things start to feel different. Therefore, people must understand the reason for change, the process of change, and their role in change. Then they will get on board the change train before it even starts gaining speed. Listeners, What's your change style and how can you be a better leader? Find out with this quick quiz. Send an email to marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com with the word change style in the subject line. Or call me at 972-380-9181.
1: You're listening to Marsha Zeidel, the Smart Moves Coach, making sure you're on the right track and not getting sidetracked in your drive for high performance and profitability.
2: Next week's show is Lessons from Our Fathers, bringing the entrepreneurial spirit to the next generation. Deborah Williams and Janie Schultz are second and third generation entrepreneurs who together started their own company. Retreat Central to help camps grow their retreat revenue through their website directory. They will share their experiences on being entrepreneurs as well as sage advice on risk tolerance, talent acquisition, strategy, and how to recover from a skin knee. Listen in on December 11th at 11 p.m., 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Now, here's another smart moose quote from Cheryl Sandberg. If you're offered a seat on a rocket ship, don't ask what seat, just get on. In other words, go despite the possible risks. You may not have another chance like this. I'll end with my favorite quote. There are three kinds of people in this world. Those who make it happen, those who let it happen, those who asked, what happened? Which one are you? If you're highly motivated to make it happen, let me help you make it happen. Call me now for a free consult at 972-380-9181 or email marcia, M-A-R-C-I-A, at smartmovescoach.com. Thank you for listening. Tune in every week, 11 Pacific, for The Business Edge with Marcia Zidle, the Smart Moves Executive Coach and Speaker helping entrepreneurs and business leaders take their company firm or practice to that next level with less stress and more success. In other words, how to take the growing pains out of growth. Innovate, improve, ignite, or die. Make smart moves. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to The Business Edge with Marcia Zeidel. Please join us again next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy taking your business to the next level.